Welcome to the Fargo Podcast, the officially unofficial podcast for Fargo on FX. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're talking Season 3, Episode 3, The Law of Non-Contradiction. Do you know what that's all about? Uh, I think this is the first title that doesn't directly reference Bridge. Uh, yeah. it's, a, it's a fundamental logical principle that says essentially something can't be true and untrue at the same time in the same situation. Right. So you can't be both wet and dry. You can't be both divorced and married. You, you can't be alive or dead unless you are, uh, you know, the wife of a soldier going off to war or a cat in a box. Right. Then <laughs> then you can exist in both those states, which, uh-huh. you know, is also there's a lot of playing on, on quantum mechanics and the Heisenberg uncertainty principle. And mm-hmm. uh, what did it all add up to, though, Jim? Um, nothing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the the true answer is nothing, honestly. Um, it it added up to an attitude shift in, I almost called her Nora Gloria, uh, this episode, which Nor- is Noria. I think just, the entirety of the episode. We, we should just call both characters Noria. Noria to, uh, eliminate confusion. <laughs> that would help me a lot. <laughs> um, I mean, I don't know what to say. This this episode seems to defy criticism because it's just mm-hmm. a bunch of. First of all, you're right. It doesn't really do anything to advance the plot forward. But that's uh, kind of the point. That's kind as well. of the plot. I, yeah. I think it's going to, looking back, be an emotional Rosetta Stone for the season to come. Uh-huh. And it really elaborated a lot of its, um, you know, the, these coincidences. The the fact that, um, you know, the science fiction writer gets scammed by these two hustlers. And almost beats a man to death and is so sickened by what he's become that he vomits in a toilet and notices the logo in the toilet with the D scratched off, mm-hmm. decides to name himself Innes Stussy, which directly led to his death 40 years later. Right. That's crazy. That's a crazy, crazy coincidence, as is the, uh, as is the mistaken co- uh, identity um, mm-hmm. uh, at, the, at the root of the, the 2010 murder. But... It does kind of feel true to life. Yeah. Oh, totally. Um, I mean, life is full I've, of those kind of crazy coincidences. Yeah, we've kind of talked about this in in other episodes of perhaps this show or other shows um, where, you know, life life is definitely not as neat as TV shows tend to be. Right. Um, not as tightly written, let's say. Uh, and I, I guess I'm not bothered by that other than to say... I wish this hour of television. I, I wish I understood at this point in time what this hour of television was going to do for the rest of the season. Because uh-huh. I do, like you, have a feeling that there's more to it than just the pointlessness of it all. Right. Um, because ultimately, that's part. But I, I want to know how this is going to lead into the rest of the season, and I'm sure they'll tell us eventually. And and, and ultimately, that was the story of the planet Y, right? That this robot. Yeah who was robbed of its purpose and seemingly had no purpose but to observe, mm-hmm. um, in, in, in doing that, uh, eventually it was of great value to the universe or to the galaxy at large, uh-huh. but then ultimately was uh, thanked for their duty, and there, there was no reward other than to be able to shut itself off. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, the, the whole episode, you know, in its themes is about the pointlessness of it all, and... Uh, I mean, well, I mean, is this Metacritic commentary that Holly is leveling at the show itself that the Fargo, the series, is essentially a useless machine? Mm-hmm. Like it's a box that shut it, its only purpose is to shut itself off, and if you don't get that, then you know, go 
Fargo, fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, I, I think so. Um, that's certainly the commentary I got from it. I, but, but but I don't think it's like his point to say that those people are stupid or those people are unworthy of watching this show. It's just like maybe this is not the show that you want to be watching. Yeah, and I know? got I got in some um, I guess debate with some of the people who sent in feedback this week because I was exploring you know why we don't like certain things about Fargo and why we don't. And a lot of people like to point out that this kind of eclectic mix of things is built into Cohen brothers DNA. Like, you know, the man who wasn't there has a throwaway plot about a person who believes in science fiction aliens and it's, it's laughed off. And then at the end, a propos of literally nothing, uh, a spaceship appears at the end, uh, at, at the end of the film to the main character. Yeah. So obviously that, you know, is, is, was built in the last season, but we didn't like it. And I, mm-hmm. my, my response to that is like, I don't like everything the Coen's brothers has done. Most notably, I don't like blood simple. I don't like burn after reading. Uh, I didn't like inside Lou and uh, Ellen Lewis. Um, I didn't particularly like hail Caesar, even though there's mo- flashes of brilliance on all those shows, right. like to the extent that they, and, and, and I, I don't know, like would I have liked no country for old men as much as I do if a fucking alien showed up out of nowhere. Yeah. On the other hand, I think an alien showing up out of nowhere out of the big Lebowski wouldn't dim my appreciation for that movie at all. It's like, is there no, am I just crazy for thinking that just because the Coen brothers did something, that's not an ultimate defense of a show that has a specific sensibility and tone to it. Right. Or maybe it's my uh, misunderstanding well, of what, what the tone and, and sensibility of Fargo, the television series is. Right. I, that's the thing. I, I think it's maybe, um, it's maybe misguided to watch this show as if it were just another TV show and it has its own sensibilities because I think, you know, this is one of the things we talk about with Noah Hawley and wanting to see him do some other stuff that's maybe more original. This is just an homage to right. the Coen brothers, right? It's not, it's not anything beyond that. And if you're looking for standard television type stuff or something beyond just, hey, is wasn't it great when the Coen brothers did this? Right. Wasn't it great when the Coen brothers did that? You're not going to get it here because that's not what this show is. This is really just a love letter to the Coens. Before we get too much further in the episode, it is a stereotypically jam-packed week here at Bald Move. Uh, we've already got podcasts out on Jackie Brown, Better Call Saul, and The Leftovers. Uh, we also, tonight on Thursday, we're going to go see Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, have a complete review out. Uh, tonight, uh, we also had a thing on Wednesday called Quip for you Club Bald Move members. Um, I, how, how would you describe that, Jim? Where we take the name a, a name for a potential TV show and we devise the show based solely on the name. We describe it. So yeah, this thing called Quip. The the tele, the shows we pitched this week: uh, Welcome Back Apes, Return of the Man from Dad's, Hardcastle and Stalker, Too Close for Trek, my personal favorite, The Brady Sales Show. <laughs> and murder you yeah and if you're thinking oh that sounds boring just making uh good tv shows out of names no no these are not good tv shows they're no, all yeah. very very bad hilarious tv shows yeah if, if if they were made i would say they were a bad television show <laughs> on a podcast covering it for sure yeah. but uh anyway that's uh that's what's happened at baldmove.com um check it out so so a lot of people were were heaping praise on um, 
the 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 cartoon in the middle of this tel- the, the this television show. Okay. And when I saw it, I was kind of interested because I thought for sure it was a Don Hertzfeld um, animation. If you're not aware, he is uh, he's he's been nominated for a few Academy Awards. He's known for this very eclectic and weird and funny and melancholy series of like low red like not even low res low fidelity hand animated art mm-hmm. um he's like there's the and specifically um this episode was calling to mind his 2015 show the world of tomorrow or is just short the world of tomorrow and i'm like oh that's cool they actually got don hertzfield to come in here and anim-. but they didn't this was yeah. just animated deliberately in his style mm-hmm. by the in-house FX animation team that does Archer. And that almost felt wrong to me that now you've huh. got it. You're, you're essentially jacking the Coen brothers for concepts. And now you've brought in this other out the artist who doesn't even particularly like doing commercial and refuse to do commercial work. And you're just appropriating his style and storytelling to further you. I, I, there's something that, that kind of rubbed me. Now, maybe it's just because I, you know, uh, is I'm a Don Hertzfeld uh, hipster. <laughs> um, you know, I independently discovered him a couple years ago and thought he was cool, and and I was just mad that someone jacked it, jacked him off, and it wasn't even him. Um, <laughs> but I, I don't. I, there, I had a lot of. Um, I had a lot of. I have a lot of uh, conflicting thoughts in this uh, episode because yeah, it looks awesome. It's also like I've been we've been saying that like Fargo should try to move away from its formula. Well, you can't get further outside its formula than moving the whole thing out to L.A. Sure. And exploring yeah. the 70s underbelly of L.A. drug culture and movies and scams and all this stuff. But it's it, it somehow still retained the kind of the core Fargo field. It looks amazing. The acting is amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the writing is very good. But ultimately, I just don't know how I feel about it. Yeah, that's the thing. It is so far removed from the landscape of Fargo um, visually that it's shocking that this is one of the most uh, Cohen-y episodes of Fargo ever. Yeah. Like, in its pointlessness, it is very Cohen-y. In all of its references, I mean, this is essentially Barton Fink, the the TV show, right? right? Like, yeah. there's... It, Cohen's are up and down all over this thing. Uh-huh. And yet... It's in this landscape that is wholly unfamiliar to Fargo right. as a TV show. So I, I'm very conflicted about it as well. Um, I I largely agree with like what it's trying to do here, but I just don't know if I enjoyed watching it. That's that's the thing. Like, um, and I know that you, you know I've talked about like you really prize entertainment value in your television. And I was like, well, I yeah. I can find a certain amount of intellectual stimulation enjoyable too, but it's weird that. I mean, I, I guess I didn't find I mean, there was nothing intellectual stimulating about this. Like, seriously, if you watch Star Trek The Next Generation, all of these <laughs> concepts about quantum physics have been well ex- explored. Like, if you're mm-hmm. in 2017 and just now learning about the Heisenberg uncertainty principle, it's also it's weird. Like, even even the fun, even like, uh, you know, cutting edge physics just becomes more grist for this thing's cultural mill. 
yeah. to grind up and assimilate, but it doesn't, it didn't feel particularly exciting. Or, and it, it's like, so, um, Rob McEna- what's how do you pronounce that guy's name? I think it's McElhaney. McElhaney from, yeah. from, um, Always Sunny. Yeah. He, he, he comes in, he essentially plays Mac working a weird scam on a Minnesota police officer. Yeah, it's like a Mac-Dennis combo. It's real weird. And this is so clearly supposed to be an homage to Marge's um, experience with Mike in the Twin Cities. Yeah. Where that's... her old high school friend looks her up and they want to have dinner. And it turns out that this is just a desperate attempt for him to hit on a person he was sweet on in high school. And mm-hmm. it blows up in his face. And it doesn't belong in Fargo to movie except it does give you this feeling of like this aching loneliness um it does and this, and this it, emotional constipation that the rest of the movie kind of revolves around and i think it serves to enlighten marge gunderson um because she, up until that point she has this kind of naive trust in all of humanity mm-hmm. um to to a large degree and mike lying to her and her finding out about it kind of changes her perception of people in order for her to solve this case right that allows them to go back to um uh it's not it's jerry lundegaard and realize that she had been taken in by him as well right so i think that's where they're going with gloria like she because you can clearly see like she is totally naive when she comes out here right? right she she thinks the best of people and these people are taking advantage of her much like stealing her luggage ha- happened or... to innis slash thaddeus you right know? right um, and, and it's it's all over the place, like the Santa Claus convention. Yeah, Santa is such an innocent, like beautiful concept. Yeah, he's the spirit of giving, and personified. Then you see these fuckers. First of all, they stole her bag. <laughs> Second of all, they're out by the pool, just smoking and drinking yeah. and playing cards, like the gruffest looking Santas right. you've ever seen. And she questions, like, why is why are there it's Santas like the evil Santa factory in Jingle All the Way that Arnold Schwarzenegger right. stumbles upon? <laughs> yeah. Like, this isn't this isn't Christmas. I expected to see Sinbad out there. <laughs> uh, and then you know, even the cops here, right? Like, she is used to when she's working with cops, they're always these just upright people who are trying to do good for everybody. Whereas Rob McElhaney is Ron, I think his name is in this. Yeah, something, something like that. Uh, she she's you know, jaded by that as well. So I think this episode serves to enlighten her a little bit about the true nature of some people. Right. And Uh, and in that it succeeds, I think. Yeah. Um, As as this homage to the Mike Yakanagi scene or whatever Mm -hmm, it is, mm -hmm. Yanagita scene. Mm -hmm. Um, So you, because I guess that's what I was going to, like I came away with that just thinking this is a checkbox that Holly checked off. I've now played homage to this scene Right. And I right. can move on where you're actually trying to find out where, um, how, how it was reinforcing the story. I'm hoping that that's, this is going to have some pivotable, pivotal uh, role, pitiable <laughs> role to play in the uh-huh. future of the season. Uh-huh. All right. Otherwise, it's entirely pointless. Right. And I want my hour back. <laughs> my two hours, as a matter of fact. Um, so let's, what, what, what else do, do we want to talk about? Um, I, I I did like seeing Mac in the Fargo universe. I know yeah. Dennis got in in season one. Had a, in there do, now. do you think we'll Do you think we'll see him again, or was he just here to? I think it's a one and done. I, I love how he orders. Hey, can I get two beers? Would you like two beers too? <laughs> right. <laughs> it's such a Mac move. Yeah. And then just the constant, and then his just like feels like he's drowning in her lack of cultural, re- you know, relatability. Like he's just mm-hmm. doing 
you know, he he's got this desperation, like trying to do a Minnesota. He's like, oh, is that what I sound like? No, I gotta go drop the kids off. Oh, you have kids? No, I'm taking his shit, lady. Uh-huh. Um, I I I I enjoyed that. I don't know why. I don't know what sequence of events led him to appearing on the show, but uh, I'm I am in favor. Do you think? Do you think we'll get more Always Sunny crossover? I want to see Sweet D. I want to Sweet see D? Sweet D. Uh, maybe maybe she could do some stand up somewhere. Right. I think that'd be a good crossover. Right. Um, the old Alan Supermall and Daniel Feinberg podcast. They debated at the end of season or at the end of season one who should be the next and they're talking about who who all from uh, always sunny should cross over and and daniel said uh, you got to get um oh fuck frank Cricket. frank okay yeah, yeah. you got to get you got to get cuz um danny devito is like the fargoiest character of all like you In just shape ha- yeah yeah you just i mean like <laughs> he doesn't have the accent but like that that man would inhabit any of these towns in whatever character that you need him to be and it'd be like yep that's about right yeah, make him make him seasons four. Season four is big bad. Yeah, I think I, I would love that a gangster. I think Charlie would be a good dim witted like you know the the right hand yeah. man for like a Margie or a Nora or <laughs> something. Not a Nora, God, a Gloria. Uh huh. And he'd of course be slit from scrote the throat <laughs> by the end of the third episode because it is Fargo after all. Can I say something that might be a little bit controversial? Uh huh. I'm still left largely apathetic to Gloria. Like really? she's not, she's not much of a character yet for me. Well, I mean, I think that's nothing to identify with. Totally, I, that might be that the plot's working because I think they are that the Gloria literally is the cat in the box. She is both chief and not chief. She is both yeah okay. related and not related to 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 um, Innes. She mm-hmm. is you know like like she's she's just torn in between all these different. Uh, situations and which is why i think that that purposeless box that useless machine really appealed to her because she's not sure what she is and if if she's even mad about it like you know it's clearly bad for whatever is left of her career to just blatantly go off on this very thinly camouflage personal mission to, uh, to la yeah and it's even more bad for him to completely ignore your boss's attempts to get a hold of you on this pointless vacation. Uh, but she doesn't care because she's like, ultimately, uh, it really means a lot to her about whether she has a purpose or not and and, and what that's going to be. And, um, you know, and it's funny because like I, there's this one line where she's like trying to explain um, to the actress uh, who was uh, what was her her name? Um, the one that uh, that that uh, Thaddeus falls in love with. Oh, I think it's Vivian. Vivian. Yeah, she's trying to explain to Vivian like why she's here, and she's like, you know, uh, a homicide's a homicide, but still the personal angle. And it seems like she's conflicted about that too. Like, why is why does figuring out Innes's death mean so much to her? Because mm-hmm. she's a good cop? Because he had some kind of connection? Because he's somebody to, to someone to somebody? Mm-hmm. Um. That is a tough. I mean, that's that's a tough thing to to wrap. I guess your head around, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's a question that everybody struggles with. Like, who am I? What is what? Of what importance am I? Uh, what is my purpose? That sort of thing. And I feel like this episode, in a nutshell, says you're nobody and it doesn't matter. Right. <laughs> like that sort of thing. Right. Right. Uh, you can you can do you can still do great things, but ultimately. 
big deal. Like, there's no point. Well, I mean, and that's like, um, you know, Zimmerman, the, the, the producer, when he's sitting there in his nursing home and he uses his voice box to explain this thing about quantum mechanics. And, yeah. you know, we collide and for a few brief moments we're, we're something real and we drift apart and float away. And he goes, I used to assign importance to those events, but now they'll let your, the door hit you on a butt on the way out. Yeah. It's, I, I guess what I'm saying is like this, this episode used six different vignettes to express the same thing. It did. Yeah, the the cartoon, um, the you know the, the fact that she's a chief, not the chief. The fact that uh, she's married and not married. Mm-hmm. Um, the the random connection she made to the guy on the the airplane and then the bar. And I'm I, I guess maybe if if, if you're going to question anything, it's like do you need to hit the nail that hard on the head uh-huh. in a single episode? Like any yeah. one of those things would have been you know, a diverting one third of an episode of Fargo, but having like all six stuff in the one. Yeah. And the way they kind of tie them together. I mean, this guy, this quantum guy, Zimmerman uh-huh. sounds like an Android, right? Like yeah. when he's talking through this voice box, it's a, it's distorted in a way that makes him sound like he could be this Android on this 2.38 million year journey. Uh, and ultimately comes to the conclusion. It didn't matter. Did you recognize the voice work on the, the cartoon too? Uh, yeah, so the guy who dies at the uh-huh. beginning, gets out of the ship and dies, is Ewan McGregor. Uh-huh. And then the guy who finds the robot at the end and sucks him up into the spaceship and says, hey, thanks for recording all this stuff, now turn off, uh-huh. is David Thewlis. Right. And I don't know what that means. I'm trying to decipher like why they use their voices. Because neither of them were... Like, like I don't know. You don't know enough about them to know whether they're good or evil, or benevolent or right. malevolent or apathy. You know, it's 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 just they're they're both. One guy dies, and one guy finds the thing and takes what he needs from it and shuts it off. Um, and what does the android think about all this, too? I like get the feeling like they're trying to tell the android that he had some purpose uh-huh. right before he goes, and in fact, he doesn't. I mean, he's collected data, but ultimately, it's going to be inconsequential because of the cyclical nature of everything, right? So you think the, the David Dulles' character was was lying or mistaken? Or not, I think I he was telling, lying. telling white lies, right? Okay. He, like, lies that give this android Like, hope. when you got a dying man, he's worried about his wife right. and kids. Like, hey, they're going to be fine, buddy. Don't worry about it. Yeah, you'll be with them soon up in right. heaven. Yeah. Like, uh-huh. those sorts of lies. Right, okay. Yeah, I think that's exactly <laughs> what's happening. Uh um, we're throwing shade at Fargo and a Fargo fan cast, and now you're going after God. Well, All right. well this I is, have to uh... stay true to myself. <laughs> going straight to the top of iTunes at this one. Yep. Um, okay. Uh, what did you think? The other thing I thought was, and here's the thing, Fargo walks on a knife edge of being poignant and cute. Mm-hmm. too cute for its own good. Just the same way that, like, The Leftovers walks on this knife edge of rationality and credulity, right? Yeah. Um, and the way they had Nora following in the footsteps of uh, Thaddeus was, I thought, maybe on the side of too cute because they. Huh, it turns okay. out that, like, she dressed very similar to Thaddeus. Her haircut is very similar to Thaddeus. Uh-huh. Like, they'd show her unlocking and opening a door, and then from the other perspective, in the exact same room, in the exact same yeah. hotel. Yeah. He, you know, that Thaddeus is uh, taking cut, you know, like like rushing in with his heart thumping, and and you know he's throwing up in the toilet, and then and then uh, Gloria knocks something off behind the toilet. She has to lean. Mm-hmm. Too cute or poignant? I actually liked it. I actually liked it a lot. I thought the directorial style of this was really good. Um, 
in that they, you know, they kind of explained that Gloria is following the breadcrumbs of this story while showing us the story. And I think that was both economic in terms of, of episode time and also interesting just visually. Uh, the, the actress Vivian was played by a mother-daughter combo. Fr- I recognize as Frances Fisher. I did not recognize Francesca Eastwood, but their mother and daughter, which I thought was a nice nice touch to do the, the two different um, ages of the characters. Yeah. Um, but they she, she, she had this opinion when she was talking to Gloria, uh, where she's summing up Thaddeus. He goes, um, you know, I, I was a bad person back then, but he wasn't so good either. What? How do we unpack that statement? Because Thaddeus seemed like an innocent, a fully innocent person that was corrupted by these nefarious people. Yeah. Now, to the to the extent that anyone pushed to an extreme is capable of, of violence and 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 uh, things that are heinous. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know what to make of the show's thesis on that. Now, it does seem like this turned Thaddeus slash Innis into a very broken, bitter, nasty person. Right. Um, the first time you trust someone and, and, and you've got these visions of greatness and to find out that it, it, it's dis- it'd be disappointing enough if this guy was a legit producer mm-hmm. that was trying to make the film and it just failed. That happens in Hollywood all, all along. But to find out that you were just taken for a rube and taken advantage of and none of this was real, that's got to be a whole other level of hard to deal with. For sure it is. But I – so there's something that's kind of unspoken here, which is – the idea that Thaddeus is not the first person they've done this to. Um, and that clearly Thaddeus has reacted in a very different way from the people who they've done this to before, right? Because I don't think that this Zimmerman guy has ever been beaten within an inch of his life. Right, into um, a coma. Right. So it makes me think that Thaddeus kind of had this in him all the time mm-hmm. um, from the get-go, and it just took an event to bring it out, whereas maybe these other people didn't have it in them at all. And when confronted with the same situation, they turned around and walked away. Huh. Interesting. Well, it's interesting because it's it's also what's interesting about humans is our like like rage and anger and sorrow are a natural reaction, but what triggers them are not. Um, like that's that's very okay. that's very based on cultural things. Like being swindled uh, in some cultures does not really. It's like, well, fuck me. I was I was swindled. I was dumb. I need to get a new wrinkle on my ass. Where others, like you know, lying is just like there's a front against a person. Or you see how like different cultures view like cheating. In some cultures, it's like, oh, it sucks, buddy. Move on to the next one. Others, it's like I'm going to throw acid in your face now. Um, uh-huh. Uh, the, the the rage and anger and all that stuff is is a universal thing, but the thing that triggers it seems entirely cultural based. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a few exceptions, like the death of loved ones. Sure, seems like yeah. that always makes people sad, and betrayal has some kind of anger. But the the but the response proportion. And do you think that that was something they're trying to go like this is a clash of cultures? Like you've got the L.A. where everyone's essentially always bullshitting and lying and scamming and trying to get to the next thing, and you know. Uh, and it's kind of celebrated, you know, like mm-hmm. what little heroics in like the movie Ed Wood is surrounds like Ed Wood trying to make these shitty, shitty movies on a very, very cheap budget with never any adequate filming permits or the, you know, skirting legalities and stealing equipment and all that. And that scene is like a heroic thing. Like he's trying to do his art. Yeah. Even though there's no merit to the art, <laughs> but that's that it itself is an LA thing. Like the act of him creating had worth of itself 
above and beyond the the worth of the things he was creating. <laughs> um, whereas I, you know, the the thing is, where do you think where do you think Thaddeus is from? That's a good question. I because I don't think he's from Minnesota. He would be a fool to change his name and then go yeah. back to his hometown. Yeah. So I, I don't know how much of a culture shock this is to him. Clearly, he's a naive young man like, i don't see him from new york city no i, I do i do feel like or the chicago mid, the or midwest anything. is kind of where he's from just not maybe nebraska. it's more of a nebraska, nebraska wisconsin yeah um than than it is a minnesota yeah or dakota so i'm gonna guess nebraska right northern cool. nebraska Plus, he didn't have much of an accent he's got that that's true yeah non, non-regional midwestern uh lack of accent thing going on with him <laughs> This robot Minsky um, seems like it's an homage to Marvin Minsky, who um, is a or was, I guess he died last year, um, uh, AI research scientist. Okay. Um, and he's known for many, many, many things. He was the co-creator of the Logo uh, computer language, if you remember back in school, if you had the TRS-80, the little turtle that drew the shapes when you put in the coordinates and stuff. Huh, okay. uh, but he's also known for the creation of these so-called useless machines. Ah, uh, right. And he came up with the first, very first box that shut itself off. So naming the robot Minsky seems like a direct homage to his work. And yeah. also felt, because, because that if, if um, you know, like classic old school hard sci-fi is loaded with those kind of references too. Yeah. So I feel like a, a guy that wrote, the, that, you know, grew up reading Starlog and, um, you know, amazing tales and all that stuff, and would be into science as well as science fiction. That he would put these little clever references in there um, to his heroes or to things that were important to him. So I thought that was uh, that's pretty nice, pretty nice uh, cultural reference. Yeah, and I think that's why I say, um, I mean, obviously this robot is a useless machine, right? He's got the same switch. Um, he shuts himself off at the end of this thing. Uh, he is meant to be a useless machine. And I, that's why I say maybe the things they're telling him are not entirely true about how grandiose well, his purpose. I mean, has that's been. so weird because like that to me, how you see that. And, and, and I, cause I don't know if that's accurate to me. I got that where you've got this useless machine that actually had a purpose. Gloria, hmm. what is, is seeming to have this connection is useless machine. I assume that she's going to have a purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's kind of like, you know, another statement of the randomness of the universe can assign, you know, like we, you know, human beings have no purpose. The universe did not evolve us from the constant bits of, of exploded stars to do any particular purpose. Mm-hmm. Yet that's kind of like our great work in, in life is to find a purpose for ourselves or to cabbage on to some other kind of philosophy or ethos that gives you a purpose. Because without it, you turn to nihilism, which if you watch The Big Lebowski, that's no fun at all. Also, another reference, did you get the fact that the 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 yeah. the, uh, the place where Viv, the diner that the older Vivian worked in is the same diner that the nihilist would meet up in and yeah. The Big Lebowski. Some lingonberry pancakes. <laughs> um so I, I guess it's funny that you came to the conclusion that this robot had no purpose and was just basically being bullshit to at the end, where I thought, it's like, no, he actually did have a great purpose. Um, but, I mean, hmm, I guess how grandiose do you think it's going to get as far as this robot's purpose? Are they, you know, by unraveling the secrets of the universe, do you think they're going to get out of, like, space time? Because there's there's the inevitable death of the universe coming <laughs> that... Uh, kind of makes it all pointless right well 
I mean, unless you think there's a way around. As that. a secular humanist, if you zoom out to a sufficiently large scale, everything mm-hmm. is going to. Because you're right. That's what like, I mean. You know, yeah. the heat, you got the heat death of the universe staring you down the face 50 to 100 billion years from now. And uh, consider this, the planet that he came from that created him is gone now, right? So all of this stuff is cyclical. Right. And, and that's one of the points they're making with, you know, the hope and the destruction that he witnesses over and over But the information he gives of this new civilization might be used to allow them to escape a similar fate? Perhaps, but it could also be argued that they would just naturally fall into the same cycle. Yeah, I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like, it, it does seem like this is a bit of a Rorschach blot that you sure, yeah. kind of look at this animation and, and you, 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 it, it speaks to you in a particular way and it spoke to us in, in, in opposite ways. Well, I'm a long-term nihilist. I'm a short-term uh, believer <laughs> no, in I purpose. No, I feel you on that. Like, I feel you on that. You, can, you I, can have some contentment and satisfaction in your life without uh-huh. believing that it's going to end up right. like, being something amazing. Right. Um yeah, no, I, I I kind of like I've always described myself as like a sunny sided cynicist. Like I <laughs> right. I expect the worst to happen, um, but mostly because I like to preserve the surprise when things go go well, mm-hmm. rather than kind of jaded and take them for granted. Um, and I also believe in the inherent goodness of people, even though there's a few right cross grained bastards out there that <laughs> that seemed hell bent on ruin it for us all. Yeah. Um. So yeah. Uh. Was there anything in uh, the Watchamacallit? I man, I have no idea, and I don't know because I, I think now I've seen every Coen Brothers film because mm-hmm. I saw like um, I, I made that claim a couple months ago, and then I realized I forgot to see Inside Lewin Ellen Lewis or whatever the hell its name. Um, but I think I've seen them all now, and I don't remember Watchamacallit being in any of them. Yeah. I, I don't know what the whatchamacallit was about. I mean, it could be referring to the box. I thought that was also weird, too, that she's put in room 203 and it has a man's shoes and a box in it, and that's not commented on. Hmm. Like, you'd think yeah. Gloria, a fastidious person like Gloria would go back and be like, oh, I think someone's already in this room or something. Uh-huh. That's my Minnesota accent, by the way. <laughs> that's pretty good. <laughs> um, there's also a couple other things I thought were interesting, like... The fact that she had her deputy pull over the police bus, inconveniencing dozens of children and a bus driver so she could talk to her son, uh-huh. when presumably she could just wait till he got home and there's a way that she could contact him there. Yeah. Is that some big picture kind of like... I mean, I, I didn't read anything into it, but uh, yeah, it is odd. I mean, I, do that. if I was a kid... I would be pissed uh-huh. if I had to sit here and wait inside the road for 15 minutes so mommy can talk to, like, uh, you know, I don't know, I don't know what this dude's situation in school is. But yeah, that, he that got would, like four wedgies on the rest you, of that you would ride. Get, you would get a couple wedgies, some fro- some frogs, a couple purple nurples, maybe a pink belly, yeah. or something like that. I'm, I'm, I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually like um, the scene when when Gloria gets back and she picks up her son and. She asks if he wants to go to Arby's. You can tell it's like his comfort food. He's like, "No, I don't want to go to Arby's. I'm fine." Oh, really? Because I thought the kid just he just doesn't like Arby's. Like oh, I th- I thought it was like a thing they that she did to make him feel better, uh, like distract him, like give him curly fries and a milkshake. Yeah, I wish I understood this kid because I can't tell. I can't tell. He's he's such a cipher to me so far because. He seemed to be pretty bummed by his grandfather's gift, and I understand that. But he also was, you know, bright enough to know he shouldn't appear bummed, and also to know the psychological impact of forgetting to take the gift with him from his grandfather's. Right. And he also like wanted to stay with his mom, 
um, and concerned for her, but also like you know he's he's also kind of like maybe upset about her dropping everything to go to L.A. I don't I don't I don't know. And I, there's a little bit of I forget who the kid that was the uh, uh, son of Bear last season. He's a smart kid, but he had a little bit of uh, motor coordination oh, yeah. disability. Because yeah. um, there's a little bit of him, like, you know, with his uncle. He's like, oh, you know, what do you want as far as donuts? And the guy, he's like an old-fashioned. The guy's like, an old-fashioned. Like, kind of, the guy's shocked that he doesn't want, like, a bear claw or, you know, whatever <laughs> fucking eclair, sophisticated donut technology they got up going in in uh, Minnesota. Mm-hmm. And this kid t- turning out an Arby's, which seems like – and that's – that's another like you know Marge and her husband's favorite place to eat um, in Fargo was was Arby's. It's Arby's, and yeah. they're throwing a little bit of shade at Arby's. I felt like, think so. With the kid turning it down, and then the the fat dumb <laughs> cop being like Arby's, yeah, let's go to Arby's. Okay, yeah. I like Ar. I just think Arby's, like Arby's has gotten too damn expensive. Too expensive. Like like ninety nine mountains of beef they give you. Look look ninety nine cents is about what you should pay for beef and cheddar. That's what mm-hmm. when I was big in Arby's. That's how much I paid for beef and cheddar. Four bucks for fucking beef and cheddar. Yeah, just the sandwich. Like, the problem is you got to get rid of the cheddar, man. Just get the beef. Get the big <sighs> Montana and be done with I it. I like the beef and cheddar. Well, get, bring your own cheddar. <laughs> there you go. Because <laughs> it's not great cheddar You can become sauce. the, the, cheddar, the yeah, cheddar kid. Maybe I should. Because I do love the, cur- the curly fries are hard to beat. Yeah, they sure are. They're like that horsey uh, sauce. Oh, mm, man. It's like so the king good. of fries. Um, you a horsey or Arby's sauce kind of guy? Uh, Wait. That's not the, the same thing. No, the horsey sauce oh, horsey is the white one. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I'm, I guess I'm an Arby sauce guy. Really, I'm a yeah. horsey sauce guy. Well, I mean, think about it. Like horseradish on a beef and cheddar, but you put the Arby yeah. sauce and it gives just a little kick to it. All right. Yeah, I, I stick with just the beef. All right. Well, there you go. Um, <laughs> I walk in, I say, "Where's the beef?" and they kick me out. Uh, so the other thing, I mean, I don't know what, what else you want to say about this um, particular episode. The other thing that happens is that. Uh, fingerprints. They come up with fingerprints match for Maurice. Um, they're going to connect the dots to this guy who was killed by an air conditioner, which Glory seemed to be find interesting. That was that he was killed in the winter. Uh-huh. So he, she's definitely going to talk to Nikki. It seems like, but Nikki has a pretty good, I mean, built-in alibi. It's like, look, I was. T- I mean, this thing was a. Uh, uh, yeah, it was the middle of winter, and I've been I've been complaining to my landlord for months about taking this thing out, and he never did it, and that killed somebody. Yeah. Um, now, do you so do you think the connection is going to be the fact that both of these people were parolees that reported to the other Stussy brother, yeah. to Ray? Could be. Yeah, I, and I think you know her her time in L.A. might inform her about the character of some people. Uh-huh. Uh, and Nikki might be a little easier for her to see through than maybe some of the other people she's encountered. See, I thought it was going to be so, so interesting. We have opposite reactions. I thought that Nikki was going to essentially nail it. She's just going to be like, hey, look, I've got this thing, and, you know, what are you going to do? I mean, and and it's when she goes yeah. to talk to Ray, Ray is going to be the one like that's like yeah. flop around like a landed fish. He's like, more oh, of like I, a Jerry London yeah, kind yeah, of guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Could be. I just I I don't know what I I I don't know what you're trying to say here. Um, I I I think that's going to be uh, entertaining, but still, yeah. probably several episodes down the line too. Because if this thing gets solved in the next episode or two, then mm-hmm. I guess you still got the larger issue of how um, Emmett is going to get out of his little thing with uh, VM Vargo. And you've got the inevitable chase, you know, trying to like once you know who did it, you still got to track him down and arrest him. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so Ray might get spooked. He might run. Uh, who knows? Right. But yeah, Emmett's also a growing concern. Uh, what else? What else do we want to talk the, about? There's one more thing that I wanted to bring up, and a lot of people on Reddit are talking about it. Uh, and I'm I'm inclined to actually give this one some thought because we assume, and we're supposed to assume, it's implied that uh, Thaddeus Mobley saw this name in the toilet and changed his name to that and moved. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of people are trying to speculate on, um, or trying to figure out the age difference here between Thaddeus Mobley in the 70s and Thaddeus Mobley when he dies. Uh, He'd be you know, 40 years older. Ennis. That seems about right. Right, but that would put him... So they say that he was 82 when he died. Oh. Which would make him 40-something. Thaddeus did not look 40. In Thaddeus' time, right. So people are wondering if maybe Anastasi is not the same person as Thaddeus Mobley, but they cross paths in in that quantum way. That would know, be interesting because there seemed like a parallel thing with that Yuri character that was talked about in the East German scene in the beginning, and then he shows up later and th- chucks some dude off of a parking lot in, in Minnesota, but we know that's yeah. not the same Yuri, and the only reason we do is because their ages don't match up. This Yuri is in his right. mid-20s, and this other Yuri, he should be you know, you know, 50s and 60s by now. So that yeah. would be another interesting kind of parallel story structure that they're telling. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I want, I guess there's one other thing I want to talk about. One of the parallels, one of the parables in the Android story is he's, they said every century he had to stop to recharge. And when he did, he was vulnerable to attack. Yeah. And they had a lot of very, um, prominent scenes of Gloria, like, like we're watching Gloria sleep and it really spiked my blood pressure. Cause I'm thinking, well, that's humans. We have to stop every day to do this particular thing, and that's when we're vulnerable to attack. Do you think that that's going to pay off later on hmm. in the series? Because I, it I could. don't know if you bet. Like there was the three or four of those scenes, and every single time, like God, she's going to wake up, and there's going to be like, <laughs> like you're going to see like a hand with a black glove clo- uh, cover her mouth, or there's going to be a gun to her head, or there's going to be a, a dude with a cane over her, or some crazy ass thing is going to happen. Yeah, I mean, it'd be nice if they kind of brought that around because I didn't see any relevance in this episode. Okay. Uh, anything else we want before we move on to feedback? Nope. I think we're ready. All right. Before we get to feedback, I want to tell everybody about the club at club.baldmove.com. Um, it's real simple. The only way we're able to cover as much television and do as much content as we can is because we do this full time. Uh, and we need your support to do so. If you go to club.baldmove.com, not only will you be supporting us, uh, not only can you get a free free month trial subscription that you know kind of kick the tires and see if it's for you but you get a whole bunch of uh, bonus content you get ad free feeds you get special online uh, or club member only stuff like uh video versions of all our podcasts which is the fastest way to get the podcasts if you can't wait to get them uh you get uh, special features like the the quips we talked about and the the housekeeping and the spoiler filled first run movie reviews um and other bonus video features uh, it's it's a pretty compelling offering. Go to club.baldmove.com for examples of all that. And again, you can get a free trial membership just by signing up. And also, uh, we have appended a short, a brief snippet of our conversation about uh, the Tom Hanks, Emma Watson flop, the circle that came out last week. Uh, if you listen to the very end of this podcast, we'll have a little preview of that for you. But if you want more, check it out at club.baldmove.com. First up, if you'd like to send the feedback, you can do so at Fargo at BaldMove.com, or you can go to our forums, forums.baldmove.com, to discuss this with your fellow fans. Justin B's first up. We got a shot of the receipt dated December 10th, 2010. 
In May of 2010, in real life, Minneapolis rejected a proposal of a new stadium for the Minnesota Vikings. On December 12, 2010, a snowstorm created a massive pile of snow on the roof of the Viking Stadium, causing it to collapse. This causes the city to reconsider and eventually approve a new stadium. Mm-hmm. Was could, it the storm? Could VM's talk of stadiums tie into this? Just a theory. It would be interesting since we're so close to that event. If that's like in the fact that they mentioned sports stadiums, like that was in one of VM Vargo's uh, you know, monologues he was given to Stussy. Yeah, uh, like his in game. It would be interesting to see like Yuri and his silent uh, Asian headphone listening uh, um, a companion to be like cutting structural supports in the stadium. Uh-huh. Like implying that it was VM Vargo all along. I think that would be kind of a fun thing to do with the real life phenomenon. Yeah. Uh, good theory. Good theory, Justin. Steve D. Hey, guys. Enjoying your podcast. I know how you feel about aliens, and I've been waiting for someone to point out the shout-out to the aliens in Season 2. At the beginning of the very first episode, I believe it was Ennis who gets up from watching t- television, and there's a quick shot of the TV screen. On it was a motel shot from Season 2 with the bo- bodies lying in a circle of light from the alien ship. Now, it's weird because I haven't gotten this and this week i got three different people that sent in the same information to me. so it was actually a shot from fargo yes season two he was oh. watching a shot from fargo season two now i don't think there's any significance hmm. to that um another person that emailed me said, mentioned that the channel is tuned to channel three which if you remember the old old ways of the old technology that's the channel you turn to when you wanted to watch something external uh-huh. like you know you play your nintendo or, or watch vcr, VCR yep. implying that maybe he was watching a tape but i don't know i think this is just one of those things where holly like for example there was a show that had uh, bruce campbell in it, in the background of the original Fargo, and then he brings Bruce Campbell in to play Ronald Reagan. Mm-hmm. It's just one of this. He just this is where it falls into too cute category for me. Hmm. Okay. Um, I just think he's just it's just something he's playing with himself. Yeah, it could be. And I, I didn't mean to imply he's masturbating. Eh, um, you kind of did. No, I seriously. <laughs> I, I mean, if I would have, I would have chuckled my own cleverness. Oh, if I'd done okay. that. This, I just realized. Oh, I just made a masturbation joke. Uh, but yeah, he was just playing with his own material. Um, and, and however you feel about that is, uh, I imagine if you were really stoked about the aliens from last year, that was super cool. And if like yeah. me, you weren't, then you probably didn't even notice. Um, Mac W. Ian McGregor just got done playing against himself in the nearly unheard of Last Days in the Desert, where he plays both Jesus and Satan in the Temptation in the Wilderness. <laughs> I, I mean, I guess it. I unheard of is a good description because I'd never heard of this movie. Yeah, me either. Uh, I wonder if Holly saw that and like, ah, I gotta, gotta get him to play a good and evil character duality kind of thing in Fargo. Dominic D wanted to chime in regarding the donkey picture Emmett replaced the stamp with. While Nikki took it as a spiteful symbol of stupidity, it probably reflects something Emmett wanted to portray to his brother when it comes to the Rocky relationship. Patience. This is in regards to a story in the Old Testament about Balaam and his donkey that talks to him. Do you remember this story, Jim? Not in detail, no. Okay. Um, the she-ass symbolizes humility and her full self-abasement. Richard of St. Victor was to write that humans needed to understand the meaning given to the she-ass in order to become steeped in humility and vile in their own eyes. If Christ deliberately chose a steed of this sort, um, they're talking now not about the Balaam story, but about Christ rising, riding into Jerusalem as it, on a she-ass. Um, it was to show the need for humility. Hence he wrote, Upon whom now rests my spirit, says the prophet, unless upon the humble, the peaceable, and he who trembles at my words. 
He who practices true humility before God and within his heart rides upon the she-ass, but he who is attentive to the duties of true abase, self-abasement outwardly and before his neighbor rides upon her full. Here, uh, so it's a symbol of peace, poverty, humility, patience, and courage. Um, he continues, if Nikki and Ray both exercise patience instead of breaking into Emmett's Eden Prairie home to punctuate his drawer with period blood, Ray may have gotten his stamp after all. Um, according to this other religious site, donkeys can also represent sexual organs and libido in the eyes of Satan. Like Satan and like the beast in the apocalypse, the ass is a symbol of sexual organs, libido, human instinct, and of life confined to the earthly plane of, ex- of, of senses. Nikki took the picture to mean one thing when it probably symbolized good intentions. She turned it into one of evil sexual organ situation. Was that interesting? Uh, to someone. The Emmett, Emmett <laughs> is looking at the ass as a symbol of humil- humility, and uh-huh. Nikki, that's a criminal and therefore closely aligned to Satan, is seeing it as, uh, uh, as, uh, as, as um, I don't know, a dick pic. <laughs> are, are we... <laughs> So are we saying that Emmett put it there knowing full well that his brother or someone related to him would see it? Or is what, this something so, that Emmett is trying to represent to himself? Other, so himself let's, take, let's take Dominic D's email out of this equation and let's reset our minds back to last week. Mm-hmm. We, we, I'll remind you, we both really liked last week's episode. Yeah. Did you think that Nikki was just crazy, or did you think it's possible that Emmett would foresee his brother trying to steal the stamp? Now, Emmett himself said that he was just getting this, the the frame repaired. Right, and I believe that. But if I am in that situation, yeah, yeah. I leave a bare nail on the wall. I don't bother to put a replacement picture that's not the same size or shape or uh-huh. goes in the feng shui of the room at all. Like, I just leave the nail there until the fucking frame shot calls, and I put it back right where it goes. <laughs> right. So... But I can see why Nikki would. Uh, I can see why Nikki would take it that way, certainly. Yes. But I'm trying to. I'm trying to think if Emmett himself meant it as like patience and all, all so, the so things that the it thing. implies. And I don't think that's the case. If he hung something on there, I don't know. I don't because the brothers um, accidentally reconciled outside Emmett's house. It right. wasn't something they both came there to do. So I think that Emmett's. Um, yeah, and sure, he feels like, you know, like people would be like, well, hey, when he was talking to Sai, he was feeling guilty about the way he tra- treated his brother. Well, yeah, Ray, I'm sure Ray at points um, has, has said similar things after he's boned his brother over, like, oh, I don't know if I should have done that. Yeah. But at the end of the day, they still act the way they act. So mm-hmm. that's where I, I guess I have trouble buying into this whole. Now, metaphorically, what Holly's using when he's dressing the set. I think Dominic has got a good point. Could be. Yeah. But the character of Emmett, there's no fucking way I think he's hanging a donkey up there and thinking, oh, this is going to show uh, the need for peace and humility and submission. Maybe. I mean, some people put up, you know, motivational posters and stuff. So maybe that's his his form of it. Right. You know, maybe he's trying to remind himself of these qualities. I mean, if Matt Jameson from The Leftovers hung uh-huh. that up there, I'd be like, yes, he fully intended all of the biblical imagery because the man's a priest and he's all of all up that stuff's ass, but, but yeah. uh, there, Emmett doesn't seem like he is uh, a biblical scholar. No. Uh, okay, so then we got the tale of two emails, one positive, one negative, and we're going to end here. Gretel B., this is the first great episode of the season, and I enjoyed almost everything about it. Now... Oh, you're going to end on the negative, huh? Yeah. Uh-huh. Try well. to go to the top of YouTube, or, or to iTunes. <laughs> right. Uh, now, I will say that almost every major critic, television critic that I read a review of, had this same kind of, like... 
you know, oh my God, Holly's done it again. He's he's found the way to throw us a curveball, and it was a total delight. Um, and that's like, every, every, and, and I get scared hmm. okay. whenever I, I like I, I'm the old I'm like I'm against the critics, and I'm not saying this episode is terrible. I hope I haven't. Uh, I'm yeah, just yeah. saying I'm de- I'm unsure about it, and and I, I think it maybe goes more towards a self indulgence meter than it does to the like really artistically important meter. Um, but but I don't know. Uh, did you did you read the AV Club review? I did, because I felt like they came away saying this. A, a lot of this is shaky, and I don't think I should like it, but I did. But that's like, still a very pop. That's like that's just the flip side of us, where we're like recognizing it's our, our, our it's visual and thematic greatness, but being ultimately didn't feel anything. I mean, that's the thing. I guess that's the biggest disparity. Yeah. yeah. Like, um, when you see the scene between Margie and Mike and Fargo, you feel like, even if you're saying, what the fuck is the scene doing in this movie at the end of it? You, you do feel something. There's yeah. a human connection where in this, that human connection didn't land. Yeah. For me. And so I like, agree with that. Yeah. Like I, I agree. Like they're like, I don't know why this, this shouldn't work, but it is, is just the flip side of us? Like saying, you know, I don't know why it didn't work because kind of like all the parts are there and it does look great and it's well acted. And pe- clearly a lot of very skillful craftsmen and art artists are working on this and it's just not, not connecting to me. Anyway, back to Griddleby. Uh, this season hasn't been as colorful as the first two and there's a lot of weird shit that's not quite aces. But the style of this episode finally overcame the shtick and helped elevate the material. So much more cinematic and there was a very great, a lot of great editing too. I also feel like there's a melancholy to this season that's not present in the others. Loss and grief are being explored here, which surprisingly hasn't been dealt with as much with all the death in the series. Hmm. I don't like Gloria as much as Molly, but I'm starting to warm up to her and understand the character as she investigates uh, and slash copes with family loss. Maybe that's the thing. I've got enough high-quality loss and grief in my life with leftovers that I really don't want it in my other shows at this point. Is it kind of distracting? Is it kind of distracting? Because I thought it would be a lot of fun to see Carrie Coon in two very different productions. Uh, but on the other hand, it's weird because I can't help drawing comparisons between the two shows. Mm-hmm. And you're right. Like, boy, if the Far- this season's Fargo is about meditation on grief and family loss, like, boy, you really, <laughs> you really picked a bad time to do it. Yeah, maybe wait a year on it's that It's like one. scheduling the U.S soccer championships the weekend of the super bowl like uh-huh. yeah it's, uh, americans are liking soccer more and more but guess what <laughs> uh <laughs> you're probably not going to be stealing a lot of ratings from it right um yeah i don't yeah um moving on to stan Ernest. i believe your criticism of fargo is well warranted this first episode the first episode almost drove me to the brink as i'm not only an average bridge player but i watch people pee for a living as i'm a <laughs> substance abuse counselor ray <laughs> is that what you said his name was? No, his name's Stan. Okay. Stan Ernest. Um, very strong, very strong, forthright, uh, respectable name, that is. Yeah. Um, first, my lands. What kind of parole officer lets the client pee on his boots? <laughs> you watch them pee in a cup, not on the floor. And over hundreds of UAs, uh, I mentioned that's a urine something or other. Analysis. Yeah. Analysis. I've never seen a client miss the cup. After all, they don't want to get <laughs> urine on themselves either. <laughs> Secondly, bridge is a very complicated game. They really dolled up how boring bridge must look to people not playing this uh, that episode, which was fun and quirky, but also a little discouraging, like finding out your high school doppelganger now likes your favorite indie band. 
Due to these life experiences, the mimicry of the Coen brothers feels misplaced, as, the, as is the plot trope after plot trope mixed with wonky characters. The blend of different Coen movies does not make sense to me, because Coens normally do period pieces, so characters from different eras and places would not mix in the same plot. Imagine a Kubrick TV show in which elements of 2001 are mixed with The Shining and Full Metal Jacket. Oh, boy. I guess that's the difference between thinking and execution. And yet somehow Noah Hawley finds a way to make it entertaining. But I'm with you all. After three seasons of the same plot lines, I'm growing a bit tired. Can we please stop making the characters so dumb and foolhardy? Not on this show. uh, That's the thing. That's kind of this show's deal. Right. now, Which is why when I talk about it, I say... Maybe they should think about not running this show forever because right. it hasn't got completely old yet, but it could. Well, and the other thing is, like, I think he's got a, he's he's on to something here because just like I said in the intro, you know, you don't have a, a, like No Country for Old Men wouldn't be hailed as this great, important modern Western if Alien shows up in the third act. Sure. I just yeah. don't think it would. Mm-hmm. Um, and same way with like. The Big Lebowski, if, like, people came in and just blew the dude's head off at the end and or, or tortured him to death and some grist fed him through a wood chipper, people would be like, what the fuck? I don't <laughs> right. like this. Right. Like, there are, like, y- 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 yes, you can flaunt conventions and you can have wackadoo things like aliens show up at the end of your film if that's what you want it to be like and that's the experience you're wanting to, but... When you are making a Coen Brothers pastiche, you do kind of have to mix and match. You have to you have to match more than you mix. I think. Okay, I'm with you. It's a, it's not an easy job. I don't no, think. it's not. But <laughs> so so you know when it doesn't work and when things are tried, it's easy to level criticisms. Uh, overall, I would say they're doing an excellent job of it. Like yeah. I, there have been minor points where we've. You know, uh, minor portions of the seasons where we've gone, we don't like this mm-hmm. or we don't like that. But I think for the vast majority of it, we've enjoyed it. I am trying very desperately to get on board with Aliens because it does seem like <laughs> he is doing everything in his power to say there's going to be Alien. Now, it might be a zig where you're expecting a zag kind of situation. Like last year, they did the whole thing too. Like, oh, wouldn't it be interesting if there's aliens and they're playing with these stop time concepts? And, you know, but I, I literally didn't expect it to be a Deus Ex Machina that, like, saves the hero's life at the end. Mm-hmm. Like, that's that's more than I was expecting from from the alien reveal here. Like, aliens and science fiction is, is definitely part of this season's DNA. Yeah. So I'm trying to really brace myself and think and embrace all the possibilities of what an alien invasion into this season might look like. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not sure. I don't know because because like I I I I don't think I've gotten there though. I'm like really trying to find and like okay, this is coming. I'm going to be okay with it. But I I still can tell like there's I I don't know. I don't know what that looks I, like. I think it's because there was nothing like that in Fargo, right? Like. There were absurd characters acting absurdly, but there was no there like was grand, like, like like the Mike and Margie scene. But they right weren't like it was always grounded in a reality that you could understand. It wasn't. Yeah. It it didn't get larger than life in those kinds of ways, and I I struggle with the idea of this being a Cohen show and not Fargo. Maybe they shouldn't even have called it Fargo necessarily. Mm-hmm. Because uh, that's really fucking with me, and it's something I need to get over. But I wonder if they if, they, if they're going man. to do. I mean, this is why we're backseat show running? 
um, <laughs> you, that that just gave me an idea. Like, in, like maybe it should be an anthology where it's like called Cullen's colon yeah. first season Fargo. Uh-huh. Then it's colon, you know, if Cohen's colon second season is the man without a, you know, the man who wasn't there. Or true stories, right? Call it yeah. true stories and and go from there. Like, I don't know, just the name Fargo is fucking with me and the, the setting is fucking with me. Well, so the other thing, I guess, is why in the first season, and I, I do remember bugging you more than it bugged me, but, like, why didn't we care that Lorne was being portrayed as a supernaturally evil character? Because that's not in the original Fargo either. Yeah, I mean, it was it was kind of in the margins, though, right? It wasn't, like, it wasn't front and center. There, there was this question, like, how did he get out of the basement yeah, and, and, and what, stuff and like that. What did but, it mean when the light shut off and flickered in the bathroom and... Right. Yeah. But at the end of the day, he was killed. He was mortal. Yeah, yeah. It, it still felt like a story that could have been true um, in like, the like world imagine, we know. Imagine if, as he died at Colin Hanks' hands, mm-hmm. if, like, a bubbling circle of pitch came up underneath him and caught on fire and he was drugged down to hell by a bunch of black, scorched hands and arms. Like, yeah. would it? Would everyone still be okay with that season? I don't know. I Maybe. guess that's the difference. I don't know. Yeah. I feel so defensive about this because... I, I've been listening to Andy and Chris's podcast on The Ringer a lot of late, and every time they talk about it, they talk about what an artistic triumph and what a totally satisfying season season two was. And I'm like, <laughs> the fuck? I, I don't get it. Yeah. I don't get it. Like, but me, I don't know. Me and Andy are cursed to be on the opposite. He hated season one of True Detective. He hated season one of uh, The Leftovers. Uh, maybe we're just, just eternally going to be on the opposite sides of this, this good and evil coin. Yeah. I don't know. I can help. Uh, if you want to help you can send uh, email to Fargo at baldmove.com we will be back for season 4 or I'm sorry we'll be back for episode 4 to see how this useless machine is put into play Mm -hmm. until then I'm Aaron I'm Jim see ya Yeah, and there's a lot of other, like, you know, these are some creepy things, but like, think about, like, if there was a program that could monitor people's social media or monitor people's uh, and detect when they're depressed and at, the, and, and, and at risk for suicide. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, what if you could help everyone that commits suicide and, like, 99% of them you could save them through effective therapy and drug treatment? Now, that's very close to a brave new world. Uh-huh. But also, if you take the dystopia out of it and, and you put back the fact that humans, uh, radical transparency and, and human tendency towards good, that's also a net good. So, like, you know, the, the, it's sword cuts both ways. And hmm. um, I don't know. It would be I don't I'm not aware of any. Uh, now, I'm not, I'm not going to say I'm not aware of any utopian future fiction because people gave me like five or six different <laughs> options. I'm going to say, like, I would I, I wonder if there is any fiction that explores this radical transparency like a novel that's set on beta Z where it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, um, it's, it's a planet full of telepaths. There's got to be a beta Z novel, right? Yeah. I, I mean, th- there's gotta be, it's I'm not out talking there. about Mzadi. I don't give a shit about Troy I, and Riker. I, I, I know. <laughs> I know. Like an actual, like yeah, yeah. beta Z focused. Yeah. Uh huh. There's got to be something like that, or like, what yeah. if, what if humans like we didn't, um, what if we didn't evolve from primates that are kind of like small clusters of groups that 
you know, uh, get territorial and defend. What if we um, descended from like ants, mm -hmm. where the idea of a collective? Or bees. And... You're just creating Jupiter ascending. <laughs> <laughs> and Wicker Man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's not. That's a dystopia. It is. Yeah, Both Wicker Man crossed with uh, with Jupiter ascending is the worst. <laughs> Channing um... Tatum's in my eyes. <laughs> uh, 